Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to read some words for you. See if we have any English majors amongst us who might be able to guess where this is from. He turned out the light and went into Jem's room. He would be there all night. And he would be there when Jem waked up in the morning. Anyone? Yeah, to kill a mockingbird, right? Those are the last. Woo! You get the prize today, right? So, yeah, famous, famous closing sentences of the of a famous book, "To Kill uh, a Mockingbird." Uh, now, how many of us, when you read a book, raise your hand? I suppose if you if you want. How many of you uh, skip to the last page before you finish the bur- the the book to see what the ending is? Anyone? No, some of you are like, no way, I, don't want, I wouldn't want to ruin it that way. There are people that do that, though, right? That can't wait to, till the end and want to see what, what's coming. Today, we end a book. The book of Acts. However, uh, the, the, the ending, it might leave us a little disappointed if we don't understand what Luke is trying to accomplish. At this point, where are we at? Rome. Paul has made it to Rome. Rome has been where Paul's heart has been for some years now. He's written about it. Jesus has prophesied to him, has come to him in visions at night saying, saying, don't worry, Paul, you're going to stand before Caesar. Jesus again has come to Paul another time, a second time, saying, don't worry, everyone on the ship is going to live and you're going to Rome. And here we are. We're in Rome. And what, what does Paul do when Paul finally gets to the capital city of the Roman Empire? Well, he kind of does what he always does when he goes to a new city. Anyone remember kind of what his pattern has been throughout his missionary journeys? Preaching. Yeah, so preaching the word of God. Anyone else want to expand on that? Yeah. Goes to the Jews in the synagogues. Yeah. Yeah, so he goes to the Jews in the synagogues, right? So he goes to a new city. What does he do first? He finds the Jews. If there's not a synagogue, like in Philippi, he goes to the river where the Jews would be because there wasn't a synagogue there. Now, in this case in particular... Paul was a prisoner. Paul was in chains. He was on house arrest. And so he couldn't go to the synagogue. And so he summons the Jewish leaders to come to him. (laughs) And the leaders come. And they have a conversation. And Paul tells them, hey, here's what's going on. 
I have been brought up on charges by the Jews. And the Jewish leaders in Rome said, well, really? We haven't heard anything about this. Yeah, this is what, what happened. And so Paul goes on and talks, talks more about how he's innocent and how, in fact, what he's doing is defending the faith, the true faith, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Christ that's promised in the Old Testament. And the, and the Jewish leaders say, okay, hey, um, we've not heard anything about you, but we've heard about this sect, Christianity. It's causing problems throughout the world. Everyone's heard about it. We, we want to learn more about what's going on. And so what they did is the Jewish leaders, along with many other Jews, came to Paul at a later date, probably some weeks down the road, so that Paul could do what he always did. Speak to the Jews and argue from the Old Testament the Jewish Bible, that Jesus is the Christ. And he does that. And, and he lays out for them all the arguments that he's laid out in all the synagogues. He's practiced, you know, he's been on three missionary journeys. He's, he's stood before kings and governors at this point. He has witnessed a couple times Paul, growing up as a good Jewish boy, he knew the Old Testament. And so he had years and years and years of experience and, uh, and trial and error doing this. And he proclaims the gospel. Jesus is the Lord. And what are we told? That some of the Jews were convinced, but others weren't. Kind of how it always went. And so, some came to faith, some didn't. And what, what does Paul do? He actually has a pretty hard uh, word and, and a, a bit of rebuke. Words that Jesus used throughout his ministry, saying, hey, this is just like Isaiah said. You hear, but you don't really hear. You hear, but not with the ears of your heart, right? Uh, this is what was prophesied. And in a sense, Paul was just brushing the dirt off his shoulder, right? And saying, this is how it is. He's come to terms. He's seen this played out over and over and over again. I commend Paul, though. I mean, Paul for <laughs> had every reason to abandon this strategy. He had been rejected by the Jews. He had been persecuted by the Jews put on trial, charges brought against him. The, the Jews have threatened his life, have made attempts to assassinate him. Paul has every reason to give up on the Jews. But he doesn't. He doesn't give up on the Jews because they're his brothers, because he knows his life, how he was one of them, and how Jesus didn't give up on him. When he was completely opposed to the gospel. And so Paul, with the, the fervor, with the boldness, with the patience, with the grace of Christ, once again comes to the Jews 
in a straightforward and gracious way. And then he declares this, and the word will go to the Gentiles. And that is, that's his strategy over and over and over. Jews first, then to the Gentiles. So Paul's in Rome. He's awaiting his trial. Luke tells us he's there for two years. And then he gives us these final words. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. <clears throat> Hold on. Acts 28, Rome, Roman, Romans 1. There's some, is something missing, right? Like, what happened to Paul? <laughs> this whole time, there's been this buildup, and we... Uh, Luke, are you going to leave us hanging like this? And the answer is yes. But we'll get to that. For the sake of our sanity, let's take a moment and reflect upon, wait, what, what do we think happened to Paul at this point? And l let me say, there is no universal consensus on this. There's one thing that everyone agrees that... At some point, Paul's head was cut off for the faith. He's a Roman citizen, right? So unlike Peter, who was crucified upside down, Paul had the right to an expedited, or expedited, I don't know, whatever, a quick death, right? Yeah, he had his head chopped off. And, and so Paul, uh, we know this happened, but when does this happen? And, is this, is this the end of Paul's story? He's there in Rome for two years. So gets there 60 A.D. That takes us to 62 A.D. So a couple possibilities. Uh, one is that the Jews never showed up from Israel, or from, yeah, from Israel, from Jerusalem. Therefore, Caesar just dismisses the charges because they're not coming to press charges. Maybe they didn't feel like wasting the time and energy to, to get uh, the same result that they've gotten up to this point. Maybe. Uh, another possibility is that Paul's just killed at the end of this. 62 AD, that's when he, he's uh, you know, martyred for the faith. Another possibility is that Luke had intended up to this point to write a third volume. But that one doesn't really hold much weight when you start pushing on it. The other is that Paul is, is set free, goes to Spain, where he's, he tells us in the book of Romans that he desired to go. He preaches the gospel there, finds his way back to Rome, and then dies some years later. So somewhere between 62 and 67 AD, everyone agrees that Paul died for the faith. 
but it's a little unclear what happened between it. I lean towards that last option, and here's why. There are some non-canonical writings that uh, seem to indicate that Paul went west. There's writings by a man named Clement. He was a bishop in Rome, writing in about 90 A.D. So within 30 years, he's, he's close to Paul. He, he would have probably even interacted with Paul at some point. So uh, here's my general disposition, that someone that lives within uh, or, or writes within 30 years of Paul's life knows better than someone who's 2,000 years later trying to guess what's, what's happening, right? <laughs> and so uh, Clement, he actually, in Roman Catholic tradition, it was the second pope after Peter. Uh, big deal back then. I mean, he says that Paul took the gospel to the furth- furthest west regions, which in that time was Spain. So I think that's what, the, what happened, but I'm not going to uh, fight for that one. But why, why, did, why did Luke not put a better bow on this, right? He didn't give us these closing words to the novel that would make us feel really good. Our, uh, so so he, here's why, in my thoughts. Because that's not Luke's purpose. Luke wasn't telling Paul's story or Peter's story or Philip or John's story. Luke was telling the story of the church, the early church empowered by the Spirit. Luke, from the beginning of his gospel, shows that the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, was for both Jews and Gentiles. We heard Simeon's song today. That's, that was the passage uh, from Luke chapter 2. Simeon's song, right from the beginning, talks about the gospel being a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. What is Luke's point? The gospel made it to Rome and it was not stopping. Look at these last, last words again. That he was, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance. Well, that's an interesting choice of words. Because Paul's in chains at this point. Paul can't go anywhere. He can't go on any mission trips because he's bound to this home and this house arrest in Rome. And yet, the gospel is proclaimed without hindrance. His point is that the word of God can't be held down. No matter what we see from our perspective below, whether we see chains, whether we see persecution, whether we see culture change or, or financial challenges, 
the gospel keeps moving. The gospel being our Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world to bring grace and forgiveness and righteousness and justice and peace. You see, this isn't about the lower story of Paul or Peter or anyone, of Larry or Brett or Jennifer. It's about God's story and how, it in, how God's story comes down, that upper story comes down and intersects at times and places with our own story. That's a good thing. And we can reflect here at the expansion of Christianity and how Christianity moved throughout the world. Let's just take a look at this video for a moment. Christianity's in the white there. 300 AD, okay, Christianity is now the religion of Rome at this point, of the Roman Empire. Islam has come into the picture at this point. Once we get to 1000 AD, that's close to what we refer to as the Great Schism. So when the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church split. Reformation time, Martin Luther, nailing of the 95 Theses. Here we are today. I would argue that this expansion of Christianity is one of the main apologetics for the truth of the gospel. Apologetics being defenses or arguments, right? Um, especially the spread of Christianity those first 300 years, give or take, before Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. How did Christianity spread? No money, no buildings, no great seminaries. How did Christianity keep going? Not through power, not through wars. Why did the church come into existence to start with. The only thing that we can come back to, and one of the reasons, one of the things I personally come back to in my faith, when I'm 
having some questions or doubts or wrestling with some things and, and trying to wonder, trying to work through like my life as a Christian, the only thing that makes sense of the growth of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That a guy came down, lived in this world, said, I'm going to die in three days later, and then he actually did it. Because when, when that happened, the lives of the disciples were changed. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people, the Holy Spirit empowered people like Paul, like Peter, like Chris, like Larry, like Naomi, like Colby to go out and to preach boldly without hindrance. The, this, there's a reason we called this series By the Spirit for the World. Because this is God's story. And, and even today, yeah, let's just, I'll acknowledge the fact Christianity has a few black eyes. The Crusades, we can argue about whether they're right or wrong. Uh, I'll just say this. When this church picks up the sword, it's never right. And so, yeah, we have to acknowledge those things. But even in places like China today, where Christians are absolutely the minority, absolutely powerless in the sense of worldly power, Christianity continues to expand and to grow. This is God's story. He keeps it moving without hindrance so that we can be sitting here 2,000 years later and enjoying the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that the first Christians enjoyed. That we can be enjoying the same forgiveness, the same life, the same hope that they have. Now, what can get in the way, though, of the spread of the gospel? Universally, it's not stopping. And yet, individually, people can reject the message of God. Like the Jews did, oftentimes with Paul. Here's where I would argue that we today are much closer to the Jews of Paul's day than we might like to admit. We're used to our traditions. We're used to the way Christianity is always played out in our lives. We're used to being in power having authority, having control. We might aspire to an earthly kingdom where our politics are reflected by the leadership of the country, of the state, of the community. Now the Jews of Paul's day, the stumbling block for them was what we refer to as Christology. That Christ was the fulfillment of the messianic, the uh, Christological 
uh, prophecies in the Old Testament. For us today, I would say that our hindrance or our stumbling block is maybe less Christology, more ecclesiology. The way church, ecclesiology, that's the big word for it, the way church happens, uh, the, the way that the church life plays out. When we're used to the church operating in a certain way, with certain programs, with certain buildings, in certain settings, having certain rights and privileges. And then we're living in a culture now where a lot of those things are being questioned. Or we can't necessarily be guaranteed of the, the things always being the way that they always used to be. That is where the rub is for us. When we think about the position of the church in the world... At some point, we have to acknowledge and come to grips with the fact that the church isn't the center of community like it was a hundred years ago. That there isn't a close relationship between the morals of the broader community and the morals of the church. There, that there isn't a respect for the Bible as the Word of God the way it used to be, that there isn't a respect for pastors as there used to be. That there uh, are some people that would go as far as to say that not only do they not agree with where we stand on things, but they also think this, that we are the problem. Our closed-minded views on life, that those are uh, the problem. And there's something to be said about acknowledging that. And then how do we fight that? How do we combat that? Not with the power of the sword. Maybe at the voting booth. Maybe not. But it's the return to the gospel. It's the return to the early church. It's loving our neighbors one person at a time. Showing them that we care about people and that we care that people know about Jesus. And that we are on a mission from God that is transcending our lives. That we, we also know this, that it's not about us. And not about our comforts. It's not about our health. It's not about our possessions and wealth. That it's about Jesus. You see, that is where the gospel comes in and, and, and Jesus comes into the world. Whether it be when he was made flesh in the first century A.D. and he came into that world teaching 
the grace and truth of God or whether it's when he comes into our world today through the power of the word, through the, the bold proclamation of the gospel, and he intersects our hearts and our minds, and he convicts us of his truth, and then redeems us by the grace, and then what does he do? By the Spirit empowers us to boldly Proclaim the truth of God. You see, with, with Paul's, uh, I'm sorry, with Luke leaving the book of Acts kind of open-ended like that, he's putting the onus back on us. He's reminding us that this isn't, there isn't a bow tie on, on this. There isn't a bow on this present wrapped nice and neatly that we can walk away and say, oh, wasn't that a great study. No, we, we didn't go into this study just so that we have a little bit more knowledge about the early Christians. We went into this, this study because this is our story. This is the story of God intersecting with us and this, we are empowered by the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles before us, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the reformers, the same Holy Spirit that empowered your parents, the same Holy Spirit that is, uh, spread the gospel throughout the world is working in you today as you spread God's kingdom. And we know this. That there is a bow on God's story. We just haven't gotten there yet. There is a day when everything is going to be happily ever after. And it's not the day when we die and go to heaven. It's not the day when we accomplish our business endeavors or summit the mountaintops that we've been aspiring to. It is the day that Jesus comes back. The same day that Paul was looking forward to is the same day that we're looking forward to. And when he comes back, he will set all things new. He will redeem this world. All tears will go away. All suffering and injustice will be vanquished. And we will get to enjoy the presence of of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit clearly and every single day for eternity from then out. That's, that's happily ever after. That's our hope as Christians. So as we look at the book of Acts, may we see ourselves in this story as we look to take the gospel to this community. Sometimes it'll feel like we're just 
walking along the seashore and we see a starfish that got washed up out of the water and just pick up one starfish at a time and throw it back. Might feel like we're not really doing a whole lot. But cumulatively, this is how the kingdom of God moves and is unhindered. Holy Spirit, empower us with your grace and truth. Amen.